Welcome to the Alternative Data Podcast. Welcome to the Alternative Data Podcast. I'm Mark Fleming-Williams. In this episode, I speak to Martin Sanov of Tender Alpha, a provider of government procurement data. In our conversation, Martin and I discuss the data scene in Bulgaria, the scale and availability of procurement data, and different countries' relationships with public spending and procurement. Meanwhile, if you have a notable or new data set that you would like to discuss on the podcast, do get in touch. In this episode, I'm joined by Martin Sanov of Tender Alpha. Thank you very much for joining us today, Martin. Thanks for having me, Mark. You're very welcome. Um, so, Martin, you are a you're the you're the founder of Tender Alpha. Um, why don't we start by just saying what Tender Alpha is? Yeah, uh, not a problem. Tender Alpha is the only uh, global government procurement contract contract awards data product specifically designated for investment analysis, but also credit rating, corporate, really different uh, use cases that we'll, I guess we'll touch upon. Uh, and this is really government procurement contract awards, not the open tenders, although we collect information about that as well, not the bidding process, because there is not much of information made available publicly for the bidding, but the results of the tendering procedures. So really at the center of our data product is the company, and if we're talking about asset classes, we're talking about equity. So publicly listed companies, but also private, private companies. So one notable thing about you to begin with is that you're, you're personally based in Bulgaria. Um, Sofia, Bulgaria, isn't it? Absolutely, yes. Sophia. Is there a thing going on where, so Bulgaria uh, was, as I understand it, somewhat the, the IT hub of the Soviet Union. It was it was where kind of IT happened for the for the Soviet Union and is now, or until recently, I don't know if it still is, was meant to be the fastest um, internet connection in Europe. Um, is that is there something going on, do you think, with Bulgaria and kind of IT and data and et cetera? Is there a reason why or or, or is Bulgaria just the same as all the other European countries now? I believe you could see the trend across most Eastern European uh, countries now, especially being the hub of, uh, at the beginning, it really started with a lot of outsourcing happening here, IT services. Uh, and yes, traditionally, there is a strong, uh, a strong school of mathematics and sciences. There was, during Soviet times, certain specialization in, in, into IT and even uh, some kind of uh, computer engineering, uh, but I, I don't think that's the reason for, for what's going on because you could see the same in Romania to a large extent, but there are some really, really interesting startups and especially also in, in our niche of data and AI-based uh, innovations. So there are some uh, fintech as well. Recently, we had a, a unicorn kind of status company in fintech. So there are definitely some interesting things going on. What was it called? So, so it's it's Payhawk. Payhawk. Okay. Um, and so, do you feel? And is this Sofia particularly, or is it, or is it Bulgaria as a whole? Uh, I think it's mainly Sofia. Yes, yes. But uh, as I said, there are a few cities around the region, not only in Bulgaria, that really attract IT IT talent. Uh, so I, I really believe 
talent is equally distributed across across the world, uh, especially in IT and uh, IT development. In our specific case, data, uh, AI. Uh, maybe what's really missing in these parts of the world is uh, the financial analytics talent kind of thing that is concentrated in financial centers like New York, London, San Francisco, even to an extent. So uh, from that standpoint, it's probably more difficult to start here. Well, wasn't there? A, wasn't oh, it? Might have been Romania, but didn't the London Stock Exchange outsource a, a, a bunch of their functions to? Was it Bulgaria or Romania? I don't think it's Bulgaria. So it's, it's it's Romania, maybe. But uh, but in terms of in terms of IT and data, as I said, and AI, I believe there is good good amount of talent. Interesting. Okay. Cool. So let us talk about Tender Alpha. Um, your your background is is uh, is unusual for this space but also as we will come to see very fitting for this space um because you are you're educated in political economy at the lse and before that at whittier college doing political science um political scientist you are you are um working for the uh center for the study of democracy in bulgaria um before tender alpha began um so how how does this how does this come across how does this move across how do you get into data where how did tell me the story well really even uh, in my experience prior to i worked also in think tanks in the us in washington dc and uh, uh but also in uh, in ib research in london so really even in think tanks even in more kind of political uh, based roles or or economy or as an economist uh, I was monitoring different data sources, uh, whether really economic data or mergers and acquisitions data in my role in London or uh, government-related public procurement data, as I did in my, uh, uh, in my role prior to, to really establishing the company. Uh, and it's, it's the same thing. So what I found out is that in public procurement, uh, the level of development of data products is absolutely non-comparable with the with the data or the market data in the financial industry so really he, here is how the whole idea started so were you so were you you were basically doing a uh, you were you were being a political analyst essentially and you were searching for data on procurement yes and also business development analyst in a way that uh, you you try to find tenders and grants and government opportunities to apply for uh, and really, we saw that there is no, uh, there isn't a comprehensive product even on European level, let alone global. Uh, and when I compare that to, I don't know, the likes of uh, Bloomberg, S&P, Factset, or you know, any major, there are so many market data providers. Uh, I believe that was a huge niche, and that's what we are trying to build here for the last several years. Uh, really, a specifically designated global comprehensive public procurement. And especially contract awards data product. Fantastic. Okay, so um, so you set it up in in uh, in January 2014 in, in Sofia, Bulgaria, as, as we've touched on. Um, what, so what's the scope of, of of your of your data? We're talking about government uh, procurement and 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 um, and related data, corporate data. What um, what's the scope? How does it? Uh, tell me about the data. How, do, how where 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 do we start from? So yeah, really, the scope here is for now we're uh, we're focused uh, mainly on developed markets. So I'm talking about U.S., Canada, the whole European Union, 
UK, Australia, South Korea, and a few smaller Asian and Latin American countries. Uh, just to give you some numbers, in our product, we have close to 100 million contracts since 2010 and delivering to our clients on daily basis. Uh, in terms of USD value, we cover something like 2 trillion USD dollars, US dollars per, per year. Uh, so we're still amazed to what extent this is overlooked and underestimated because public procurement really stands for between 15 and 20% of world's GDP. Uh, and this is, as I said, this is the contract awards. We have around 4 million private companies. So most of the uh, awardees are private but uh, around 10,000 publicly listed companies and some, most of the large contracts actually go to public listed companies, so nearly 50% in terms of aggregate value. Uh, US alone stands for, for the, pretty much the same as the whole European Union in terms, of, uh, uh, in terms of aggregate value spent per year. Maybe the European Union countries are a bit higher. Uh, and we cover in US, Canada and Australia, we cover federal level procurement, which is very interesting. We believe we are ahead of the trend in a, uh, in a few aspects here. Uh, first, geographically, because uh, there is a push for wider transparency and more and more countries that we call frontier markets or developing markets, uh, they start digitalizing the procurement process. So this would extend the geography inevitably, which is great for providers like us. Yeah. Uh, but also functionally, that uh, even in, in developed markets, there is still a lot to be done in terms of um, actually digitalizing uh, the entire process of public procurement. So I'm talking about bidding, uh, the open tender procedures, uh, the, the, the actions after the contract towards the, so you could imagine even just the bidding process, if we have that information transparent uh, and uh, digitalized, uh, that could also give you a lot of additional analytical edge in terms of actually predicting tender outcomes, uh, you, you know, having a competitive analytics prior to the award, etc. Uh, in, in that regard, there is still a lot to be done, even in marks like the US, for example, we cover federal, as I said, while there is still a lot to be done on state and county levels, and that, that goes for a lot of countries for local procurement, that still needs to be digitalized on one hand and standardized on the other hand. And there, there are a lot of uh, organizations, there is a World Bank uh, initiative called Open Contracting Partnership, etc., that are really moving towards, uh, towards further opening of public procurement, both functionally but also geographically. So are there, are there differences? Are there some countries where um, procurement contracts are a bigger deal, not even talking about uh, where data is available? Are there some countries where um, you, by getting close to the government, then you're, then you're more likely to be made a millionaire than, than getting close to another government? Is there, is, is there that going on or is it pretty much um, the amount of procurement uh, contracts and opportunities are you know, dependent essentially on you know, GDP or whatever? Uh, in terms of percentage of GDP across developed market, it's pretty pretty close. Uh, actually, as a matter of fact, in less developed markets, public procurement is a larger percentage of GDP, and uh, you could see that this is the places where uh, 
one of the fastest ways of becoming a millionaire is to work with governments, which you don't see really in uh, US and UK. But what you could see is a difference there between, I would say, Europe and, and the US, for example, is these are there's sector differences. For example, federal procurement in the US is a lot a, really focused on defense. On, on defense exactly. Yeah. While in Europe, you would see that construction is actually the largest uh, uh, the sector where it, it, it sees the it gets the largest contract awards, and it's when we do our industry-based analytics, construction is really way above all other sectors in, in Europe. But uh, while well, you could see that defense is, is huge in the US, it's close to half half of the contract towards aggregate value goes into defense, and there are there are really a few large companies that are the the usual suspects there. And you don't yeah. find it to such an extent in Europe and the UK. So the answer is that the that it's that the governments are generally all spending a similar amount um, compared to, to to you know similar percentage of, of overall GDP, for example. Um, but they're but they're prioritizing different things. And where the US might be spending a lot on defense because they've got the largest military in the world to to keep up. Um, so they would just be allowing the market to take care of construction, whereas in Europe, the culture is much more towards um, spending on, um, you know, I mean, going back to kind of, you know, national champions and, and, and things like that. So um, and, and, and perhaps creating a um, Airbus or whatever equivalent to to rival um, the, the, you know, a kind of a French French German um Absolutely. Yeah, that it's a kind of culture of, of 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 government spending in order to support economic titans um, in Europe, and so you're seeing that in the data, would you say? Absolutely. But interestingly enough, a lot of the French, German, and UK defense contractors—they're also in top hundred of in the US. So they get a lot of defense contracts in the US as well, more like more than they do in their home markets. So that's that's very interesting. And another thing, going back to you know, you saying markets taking care of uh, of construction in the U.S. That is true, but also it is true that a lot of construction-based contracts are just done on lower level, state or county. Uh, with that is not while it's more centralized in in Europe. Uh, that's that's a huge uh, difference there. And so, uh, so you would expect while more data became as when as data becomes more available at that level, you would expect construction to to catch up. Absolutely. And one thing we saw in the last few years, it's, it's really interesting to actually, uh, it shows the power of the data and the dynamics. First of all, now things are changing and we expect defense to pick up in Europe as well due to uh, the global affairs currently. Uh, that's one. But another thing is healthcare actually is now in the last few years has been almost even in the US and in Europe uh, has been the sector that sees the highest growth due to COVID and the whole, all, all the vaccination contracts actually were done through public procurement. And you could see a company like uh, Moderna or Pfizer that Moderna was never actually existed in our rankings. And now all of a sudden it's in top 50 companies receiving government contract awards. Uh, so that's, that's very, very interesting dynamic. So things, things are changing, but if we're talking about the, from the course of like 10 years back, uh, yes, these are, Traditionally, that's that's the picture. More defense uh, in the U.S., more more civilian kind of and healthcare and energy 
and construction in in Europe. But now these things are changing. How much? How much? So you've you've brushed it, but how much? Um, what percentage does it does it vary a lot in terms of, um, for example? Does the U, do the U.S. contracts tend to go to U.S. companies, and I don't know, Swedish contracts tend to go to you know, you can't they can't always find the answer within Sweden, so they'll they'll often go abroad. Does it does it vary a lot, or do you see a trend that actually everyone's very internationalist now, and so or contracts can go to anyone, or everyone is very nationalist now, and so it tends to go to the domestic? Well, for sure, most of it goes to domestic companies, but. Uh... As I said, it's in, in top 10 contractors in the US, you have at least two European defense contractors. Uh, while in the EU, I don't know what you consider local because uh, uh, any EU-based company, even if it's not from the country of origin, is considered coal market. So really, it is quite competitive on an EU level. But again, when you bid, you should remember that the majority of contracts, if we don't aggregate them on industry or ticker level or just do some macro aggregation, the majority of single contracts are, are small, small, small awards, small contracts. So you don't expect a lot of international competition. And therefore things that are really, you need to be local to deliver. Okay. But then there is certain, you know, cyber security is huge, all IT services, and this is very, very global. Very global, and in the EU, it's the entire EU market. Uh, it's it's very competitive from are from they, that. that they're required. EU countries are required to treat other EU uh, countries uh, members as as um, as equals, aren't they? They wouldn't it, they wouldn't be allowed to discriminate against a Bulgarian company if they were from Germany or whatever. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Uh, it's everybody is allowed to to participate, and it's 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 treated like home market. Okay, um, and so what is the so um, data wise? Um, obviously, this is coming from um, you know it, it's being it's being released as as government um, issuances and and, uh, and information, and you are tickerizing it. Are you you're linking it through to the and is it always a public company? Not always. So you're you're tickerizing. So how are you dealing with the privates? How how are you turning it into kind of investable data? Uh, yes, that's actually the the biggest value added here because uh, one for for once you need to know the public sources and uh, uh, to have stable extraction processes and all that but then the real value comes in aggregating and started that standardizing it and delivering in different feeds for different applications I can tell you about that a little bit more about what the different feeds that we have and and so on but uh, so the 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 way that we receive the data, it is publicly available. It is published by governments to be publicly available, uh, but it's not in any case ID mapped or <laughs> we just receive names and contracts and some monetary value and descriptions. So really we go through through, through the process of, of mapping uh, that which is pretty standard for all data providers to some external database. It's uh, uh, we really have a lot of machine learning algorithms to to to, to actually uh, get it done, especially on ongoing basis each morning because we have something like close to twenty thousand new contracts every day. That's amazing. Yes, and for public listed companies, uh, it's even a little bit easier. Uh, 
because it's a, it's a smaller universe to, to match to. But for private companies, uh, we extend a lot of open data there uh, for uh, as much as possible. It is easier actually in, in Europe in terms of uh, mapping to tax, tax IDs. Uh, then it's in private companies data in the US is less less available, but uh, there is also the employer identification number, tax IDs, national IDs as they call them in Europe. So what we deliver is every all the contract awards mapped either to a private company ID or to a public listed company ticker or a subsidiary of a public listed company. Uh, at the end of the day, in terms of public listed companies, the universe is, is limited. So as I said, less than 10,000 companies, publicly listed companies ever were ever awarded even one tender. So from that standpoint, it's a little bit easier to, to, to map because it's quite, it's expected what kind of companies participate in public public procurement and we already have the base so we we go through all this procedure of automatic matching we have different classes of companies uh, in terms of the probability of exact match then we have some kind of manual intervention but in order to deal with uh, this kind of uh, such volume of data and mapping every day there's a lot of uh, a lot of automatic processes that we have we have set up the um, I can imagine it being an absolute headache. Uh, coming out of um, COVID, we had we've had a, we've had a fair bit of scandal actually in the UK around um, so uh, around essentially there was the governments obviously needed urgent um, PPE and things like that, and so issued kind of rapid tenders. Um, which then, um, you know, the, the the one that springs to mind was was a, a guy who apparently uh, went to the same pub that the health secretary was going to, and he might have created a company out of nowhere and bid for the tender and got it. So from a from a tickerizing perspective, or from a from a kind of mapping perspective, then you know, keeping track of this brand new company which is which is uh, bidding for this contract and winning it, I can imagine would be a would be a huge headache. Is that? Just a COVID thing, or is that is there a, there's there's a lot of potential for skullduggery, and particularly as you get perhaps further towards the development developing markets as well. I I can imagine that's quite hard to to grab hold of all of this. Uh, yes, that that's why it's very important the the level of standardization and digitalization. Uh, they they do come out with some IDs from from the official sources, and on top, as I mentioned, there are, like in the US, you uh, in the UK you have the company house, so. If that guy is, uh, is, is, he needs to be registered somewhere. He can't just win a contract without having an ID, without having some kind of history. So it's, we, in order to have a product like that, uh, we need to track a lot of other just corporate data sources. So that's really uh, the answer and that's what we match to. Uh, but the better the, the initial data, the, the easier for us. So the more information we have, like secondary, so street address, uh, in addition to company name, you know, secondary kind of uh, secondary information about the company. Sometimes they come out with an ID, as I said. In the US, uh, uh, there is a certain ID system. Uh, in Europe, it's, it's different. So really, uh, one you need to, to track and and the better the, the the primary sources and the more second information you have the easier to to match but then on top 
you need to track all other whole other uh, origins of corporate information. Like in the example with the UK, for example, we we work also with uh, companies house and you know any national registries of, of, of companies uh, in order to to match the newly awarded company, the newly merged company to to a larger data set, to a larger data set of uh, corporations. And here is the interesting bit. I'm sure during the podcast, you know that uh, inevitably when you do uh, when you're in the alternative data market, you need to go to more traditional, you know, market data yeah. <laughs> because it's it's just uh, almost all alternative data providers uh, that I know inevitably they go to the wider, more traditional market data because even to do your specific niche data, you need to know. Uh, you need to kind of jump into more traditional corporate or financial data, uh, and especially the, the ground, to get the ground truth on what's going on out there, and then later absolutely, later. absolutely, you you can stay isolated with just for, you know monitoring one thing. It will be then uh, useless, and that's why I actually started talking about. We have different feeds for different uh, applications of the data product. I think this is essential for a. You know, small alternative data provider to, to kind of extend the usage. So we uh, obviously we do some macro aggregations. We have a defense news feed. So we also follow news on contract awards specifically in the defense industry. We have a specific quantitative product because in the US, you know, due to transactional nature of contracts, you know the outstanding payments on each contract throughout time. So you could aggregate that and have forward-looking receivables, which is pretty strong. We've done some backtesting for quantitative. And also we have green procurement for ESG analysis, which is, uh, which is quite, quite, it's quite an interesting uh, product because you know one of the trends in public procurement is actually sustainability and a certain quotas need to be green contracts. Uh, Etc. So you need to always develop uh, new applications, try to find new applications, create new feeds, and inevitably uh, there is jumping into traditional, you know, market data. You've you've talked about um, you talked about various use cases, credit rating, etc. But um, from an investment perspective, what kind of investors have you found are uh, interested in your data, and and what do you think, as far as you know? they're doing with it um, still the biggest chunk of clients from the investment world uh, are quantitative quantitative hedge funds uh, although we believe any there is very very clear indications of the fundamental usage of, of this data product but uh, I guess the level of development of you know data savviness within uh, within quant funds I guess is there better prepared or uh, mm. uh, it's an easier transition uh, what we see really being used is uh, as i said the receivables data and any or our main contract feed which just gives you the sales surprise effect from a large contract award let's let's mention it like that and also our we've we done some back testing we did some research on unexpected government receivables with three main dimensions this is so the first one is the usual suspects. This is the, the Lockheed Martins, the Boeings, you know, the defense contractors or large healthcare contractors that receive larger than expected government contract awards value. Uh, 
this is when unexpected government receivables uh, effect actually comes into play. Second, when you say larger than expected, so there will be. So, are you saying um, so compared to previous years? Oh. Yeah. Okay. And so, and so, yeah. Okay. Go on. And the, the second is which we found really that has a market effect is when a large company, uh, you know, a, a company with really high market capitalization and a, a really a market mover actually goes into government procurement. A large company that is not traditional for the government market. This is when actually markets kind of affect to that. This is also kind of unexpected. They did little or no business with the government before and they get a large award and, you know, then it's, it's, it's treated as a new source of income, a new market they're entering. And of course, the, the case like Moderna, a new company, a small company that receives a government contract that is material compared to their uh, to their if, to their revenue or to the size of the company it might be even larger than the size of the company so obviously that's a pretty pretty interesting case so this is really the sales surprise unexpected government receivable uh, effect so it's really used as kind of earnings predictor and, and really in that in that direction in those three different dimensions do you feel do you feel like the world is waking up to you recently or, or um, do, you, do you feel like I don't know you've been you've been banging your head against the wall saying this is important and people are only just beginning to realize it well in the early days it's more of the, <laughs> it's more of the latter uh, in the early days of developing of the market and as you know you need to mature as a data provider uh, there are a lot of things on the tickerizing pointing time you know all these things I don't want to get into uh, into detail and it really happens once you gain enough customer base sufficient customer base of especially f because financial industry clients are very different than for, from other types of clients because we started with you know credit rating or corporate usage where people are mostly interested in more macro or even private companies focus once we uh, have started serving the, the financial industry and gaining traction there, uh, which of course the main focus is public equity there, uh, we see that more and more people are waking to that. And as I said, I believe it's in inevitable. It's 20% of world's GDP. Uh, as I said, $2 trillion of government spend. So the government, and especially through COVID, through the geopolitical uh, events that we are going through now, the government everyone starts caring uh, for what the government is doing, what they're purchasing, certain trends, and really the just the significance of the government as a client. Uh, I believe it's it's really amazes me to this day how overlooked that has been. Uh, because it's 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 a, it's a large, it's a major client and more and more companies. Yes, the Google and Apple and uh, companies like that, they're not they're not especially big in this area, but all of them start doing different kind of business there. And it's it's also the government market is changing, as I said, the dynamics. Yeah. So it is becoming IT and cybersecurity. It used to be a very small part and it's it's huge, really. It's yeah. after healthcare, this is the area where you see the biggest growth in spending per year. Makes sense. Um, people, political analysts have been saying for a couple of years, I feel that um, there is a shift underway um, away from the kind of Washington consensus where governments um, let the market do most of the work and actually more towards higher spending, more like 
forties, fifties, sixties, seventies type government surroundings, um, which which will play into your hands. I would think you know the more government spend, then the more the more important they become in the economy, and then and then uh, the more your data becomes important um, for the future. Are there are there big whales which are still you know which which you're which you're looking to harpoon? I suspect I, I'm not sure you've mentioned China and China is obviously gigantic and growing. Is what's the what's the situation? Is that going to be you know might that open up and might that be a huge moment for you when it does? Uh, the short answer is yes. <laughs> the the longer answer is it's it's more complicated than that. Uh, we make. In order to include a new country in the, you know, in the scope of the product, we want to make sure it's not partial. Uh, that's the that's actually the reason we, for the U.S. and Canada or Australia, we, we only monitor federal procurement. We do have certain custom state level uh, data feeds, but uh, unless we have all 50 states and etc., we we can't include it on a comprehensive level. So the problem with China in this particular case, but a lot of Asian countries, some Latin American countries, not to mention Africa, is that just partial uh, disclosures is not, it, it will distort the data to an extent, uh, and it, it might be less useful than not to have it at all. Uh, so we, we have been monitoring Asian sources. Uh, China, for political reasons, is becoming less transparent, I would say, than it was even a few years ago. Uh, but there is some data we are monitoring different sources and we hope this will change in, in the near future. But the good news is, as I mentioned in the beginning of our conversation, is uh, like initiatives of developing banks and institutions for opening up and digitalizing government publishing in general. It's not only procurement, but all kinds of regulatory data. Uh, and this is happening in other parts, in uh, not in China, but in different Asian countries, in, in Latin American countries, just to mention recently, Mexico, Chile, Ukraine, prior to the war, actually, they developed an absolutely fantastic public procurement portal, uh, which, uh, with an API access and all of that, which gives you really uh, everything, uh, even information on bidding. And I believe this is the future. And, uh, and more and more countries are opening. And the good thing is even in developed markets, local procurement is being opened up, as I said, uh, county level, municipal in Europe, uh, and, and so on. So uh, the quantity of data you have access to could could build quite a nice corruption index for a country. You know how how transparent they are about about procurement is quite a nice quite a nice measure um, of uh, of you know of, of, of corruption. Absolutely, we we we've done actually a project like that, but uh, people usually are focused on. Nobody wants to measure corruption in the US or UK. So it's, it was really a Southern Europe, uh, it's called semaps.eu. We, we developed it with the European Commission and actually a, a platform showing uh, uh, state capture in terms of public procurement exposure in Spain, Italy, Bulgaria and Romania. So yes, this is, this is one of the applications. Another interesting thing is the quality of public spending, which usually is defined by the percentage of education and healthcare as as a percentage of overall public procurement and public expenditure and as you could imagine the, 
who defined it as that? So, so essentially, America is just throwing all its money away on defense. <laughs> uh, well, you'll be surprised. They're also having uh, some good developments there. But logic, you know, non-surprisingly, the Nordics have the, the best index uh, there. So really, Listen, they... I, I feel I, I, do, I, I feel perhaps that the I don't know. I don't want to get into too deep into this, but I feel like the fact that America is spending so much on defense is allowing the Nordics to spend that much on healthcare and education without having to spend it on defense. Uh, yeah, that's. I, I would not disagree with that, but it's a long, it's a long topic conversation. Yes, um, interesting though. But um, but brilliant. Um, was there anything which we which we we haven't covered that we which we should uh, around Tender Alpha? Oh, uh, I believe an interesting topic is supply chain. Uh, I think this is. As I said, you know, being an author, you know, alternative data is a good media-friendly uh, uh, definition of our market. Uh, but inevitably, it's you, you always and, and our data product having companies at the center of uh, of what we do and uh, just corporate analytics. It allows us to marry it to different kind of other, you know, just market traditional data uh, offerings and uh, with a unique angle, which is what makes it uh, important because uh, you need to do any, something different than all the other companies that are offering some of the more traditional data sets. Uh, so from supply chain, we, we are working on having a government, a full government supply, supply chain kind of structure. So you have Obviously, we have the final bit, which is the government as clients in, in a very, very, uh, uh, very detailed picture on that. But then uh, under that is just the traditional supply chain data. So we're working with that. Obviously, procurement is a, is a large part of it. From macro uh, standpoint, you know, everybody's, you know, the PMI index, uh, the private corporate purchasing managers, uh, which is a huge indicator, traditional indicator of, you know, macroeconomic development. We believe that we should and we hope to, we hope we could develop, you know, public procurement index, uh, because I believe it could be, it'd be quite telling as public expenditure is a large part of, of GDP. So that's another thing we have an ambition to, to, to develop industry based and, uh, country based. Uh, so these are these are really and just news data, any textual semi-structure, uh, uh, semi-structure or unstructured data related to the to the topic. Uh, there uh, there is a lot going on in the news on government procurement. Some some contracts actually actually get to the news before they are published by government. So we need to, and we already are developed a feed for. For the defense sector, but we want to really develop something more comprehensive. That we we make sure that anything that's mentioned on the topic, we have it covered. So it's it's quite interesting. A lot a lot of a lot could be done, and to to have a more widespread data offering. Fantastic. Well, that sounds like um, an awful lot for you to be getting on with. Um, I will. Uh, I won't. I won't keep you any longer, <laughs> Martin. Um, sounds very exciting. I. Th I think it's. I think it's brilliant. Uh, as I mentioned, I think this is the government is, as you've said, a huge customer, um, which shapes an awful lot of the market. And actually, finding a way of measuring it is is very valuable. So, um, so delighted to have had had you on, and thank you very much for telling me about um, about Tender Alpha. And uh, best of luck with it. 
Thank you very much. It's, it's been really a pleasure to be part of the Alternative Data Podcast.